Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a podcast about the humanities and interdisciplinarity, produced by the Cohen Center for the Humanities at James Madison University. Conversations at the Cohen Center. My name is Connor, and today I'm sitting down with Dr. Jayla Warman, Professor of Writing, Rhetoric, and Technical Communications at JMU. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Warman. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on this podcast today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your research interests. All right. So as you already mentioned, my name is Dr. Jayla Warman. So I'm an assistant professor here in WRTC. I teach an array of courses, but predominantly uh, my research and background is centered on culture and race as it relates to professional communication in businesses, organizations, and also on social media. So we can talk a little bit about that later, but that's like my professional background background, but I also am an avid social media content girl. (laughs) So (laughs) I, um, yeah, I've been on social media for like over a decade and I have a brand called Just Minute with Jayla, which I actually was just talking to you about. (laughs) And that actually is an inspirational platform for young men and women where we get to highlight their achievements and accomplishments into young adulthood and also their career. So I have that platform and I also am I'm starting up my small business actually next month. That's something That's new. That's so exciting. Yeah. This is actually the first time I've publicly announced it. I announced it at a conference. I just went to the Buy Black conference um, hosted by the U.S. Black Chamber of Commerce. It was in uh, D.C. last week. But um, basically, I'm just going to be offering coaching services, life coaching, and also writing services because I have, you know, my expertise is in writing, but so many people are always like emailing me and asking me if I can look over something, edit something, or work with them to get their like professional communication. So I'm like, I need to just offer some business services. So that will be coming soon. Yeah, so exciting. <laughs> yeah, so I do a lot outside of uh, teaching. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, clearly, you have a wide range of interests that mm-hmm. so cool, very um, in tune with social media and content creation and where the direction that a lot of writing and rhetoric is going into. Yes. Has anything in your life significantly like impacted and fostered these interests? Like, how did you get started with all of this? I definitely would say, like, growing up when I was in, like, high school, I just always excelled in my writing courses. So I didn't know back then I would pursue, like, a doctorate. You know, that wasn't something... Um, on the horizon for me. But back then, even in my teens, I always said I wanted to be a professional speaker and a professional writer. Like, that was just the thing I wanted to do. I didn't know what career path, but I, because I was doing so well in the writing courses, that was the thing that came natural. It seemed like I just easily knew how to articulate ideas and to analyze things. That's like the rhetoric portion. Um, So I was like, whatever I end up doing in life, I know I want to speak and write. (laughs) (laughs) In a professional context, um, you know, so I would say that was something I noticed as a young kid. And then also one of my first jobs out of undergrad, I worked for a nonprofit and a church and I was their assistant writer. And I did that for two years. Um, But at the time when I did that. It was a in a professional setting. So my bachelor's is in more language, literature and writing. So that's like literature, linguistics. It was like a interdisciplinary um, bachelor's. 
in this particular job, when I was their assistant writer, it was strictly doing like fundraising, writing, copy editing for um, missions and things for the nonprofit. So me having that job and having to learn on the job, the types of writing for a nonprofit organization and a church kind of led me to want to go this route in terms of uh, pursuing like a master's and eventually a doctorate. What specifically brought you to JMU's WRTC program from your background experience? Okay, so um, my doctorate, uh, I was at Michigan State University, and that is an interdisciplinary um, program, and it is a, a standalone writing program that I was in. So most writing programs are housed in a English department, and that is like traditional, but the cool and unique thing about having a standalone writing program is you get to foster your writing and rhetoric and technical writing skills and design skills, um, and you don't don't have to worry about like you know the literature courses right. you don't have to worry about some of the other things that have historically been in an English department so because I got my doctorate in there I was looking for um you know, I was looking to teach in a in a department that either had a standalone writing program, which is not many. Mm-hmm. I was aware of that, or had a very strong um, like professional and technical writing program because I knew those were the kinds of courses. So um, that was something that sparked my interest. But also, JMU had a cohort hire, and once somebody sent me the information about the cohort hire, I was very intrigued. So all of that led me here. That's awesome. That's so exciting that you would be you were able to have that information at that time and be able to come in at the time that you did. What's something about like JMU and the WRTC program that really excites you now and for the future? Well, I really like that our department itself is we're fostering like I feel like our programs to be right on par with where TechCom is going, where professional writing is going in terms of, we have a very strong health and medicine focus. We have a really strong professional writing focus for people who want to go out into um, the public sector. So I feel like our program itself is doing really well with preparing students, which excites me because I get to be a part of those conversations. And I also like that we have a strong interest with a lot of the students here who are interested in digital communications and social media, UX design, usability, accessibility. And with me having interest in all of those things, coming into this program and being able to just share my expertise is something that's exciting because that is the future of communications and technology and writing and rhetoric, those intersections. So that's super exciting. Yes, I would agree with you. I, I do feel as a WRTC student that this program really is preparing my Myself and everyone in my cohort mm-hmm. to go out and to be professional writers in whichever sector that they're in. Yeah. And I think that's it's really cool that WRTC brought you in because of your social media focus mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. That's something that is emerging among graduate students and undergraduate students. It's not just an interest, but it's actually like exciting. Like you can make a whole career out of social media and content creation yeah. management. The funny thing is, though, I did not know I would be so interested in researching social media. It was just the thing I was already doing. Right. And um, I just, I knew I wanted to do, like, 
communications and professional writing as it relates to some of the designs that I was seeing online and then just in a business you have to have like your visual design you have to have like just your written communication that goes out so I was interested in those intersections and then the social media was the thing I was already doing like outside of work like my friends knew I documented my entire graduate journey I was very transparent um, about like things I was going through and I would document that online so people started to follow me because they were like we love to see your journey in grad school we love to see your professional journey and see it evolve so when I became a professor um, this is something I don't share much but I was very like unsure if I wanted to keep being public on social media because that's a thing that many professionals and educators they create you know, their private social media pages and then they have like their public one that's devoted to just research and then the work. But what was different about me was everything was kind of intertwined. It wasn't that there was this private personal Jayla and then there was the Jayla that talked about research. No, I talked about like my personal life, my research, Mm -hmm. my professional life. And then I continued to inspire people and talk about like my interest with business. You know, I went back and forth with it and I decided I was like, I want to continue to do this and maybe teach other people how you can build your own brands online and still stay true to you, the essence of who you are while talking about your professional life. I I share that to say, like, me now doing research in content strategy and social media, it also, like, just aligns with my, you know, personal interests because that's what I was doing. I love that. I love how there can be totally you academically and outside of mm-hmm. academics. They both go together. And yeah. it's the same how I'm seeing work evolve now, too, is you can still be yourself in a work setting and yeah. outside of a work setting. Yeah. Like they're not two separate people. They're not. I will say, though, I have to be intentional <laughs> about what I share <laughs> because um, one of the trending topics right now is, like, people oversharing, especially in tech, on TikTok, talking about how they got into tech. And then because tech, a lot of tech companies require you to sign, like, an NDA, especially, like, Apple and some of these other high-profile companies. I've been hearing about people getting fired from HR because they're, like, oversharing things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another conversation that people need to have in this age of social media. If you are public public on social media, um, there are like best practices Mm -hmm. on how to do that because like I'm very much aware of every single thing I post. I don't just post things and not think about my image. Mm -hmm. I think about the content of what I'm writing, the videos I post and how that can either help someone or how that makes me look when I share it. Right, right. And I think it's also important to know that, like, whatever's out there is out there forever. Mm-hmm. Even if you delete it, it's there. Yeah. I was taught in my undergraduate experience, you know, you want to have a pulse on what you're posting, but also what people are posting of you. Yeah. Because anyone can see it at any time. Yeah. If, if you work for a department that it has an HR department where they are looking at what you post and your image and mm-hmm. your personal brand, yeah. it can really, it can really bring you down. I mean, positive social media is crucial and I think a lot of JMU students too can even look through and think about like what am I posting even on things like Visco that people Mm -hmm. think that other people don't look at I see that in some people's profiles and to be honest even when you have a private page 
I am like, I just don't trust any of it. I'm like, mm-hmm. even these private pages, you don't know the people you trust on your friends list. They could still be screenshotting something you think is private. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said, if I don't feel comfortable posting it publicly, I'm not going to post it at all. Right. So for me, it made sense for me to keep my social medias um, open only because I have been sharing my journey professionally and as a graduate student for so many years. Mm-hmm. When I became a professor, I was like, it would only make sense for me to share that part of my journey with the people who have been supporting me and my friends and family along the way. So, yeah, this is like a great conversation. That's like a, a side topic. But, yeah. yeah, I really do hope that even JMU students um, start thinking more, you know, just more aware about what they post because that stuff is out there forever. Right, right. So kind of segueing into what you're currently teaching, what classes are you teaching now and how do your interests translate to your students? How do you teach these concepts? Can you just tell us like a little bit about each course that you're teaching? Yeah, so I'm teaching first year writing. So that's rhetorical reading and writing and every freshman student is required to take that course. I'm also teaching our graduate class, which is WRTC 500. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Critical conversation and questions and rhetoric, writing, and technical communication. And then I also teach content strategy for our upper-level students. I'll talk about, like, in my first-year writing class, since that is, like, a part of the curriculum here, a, a Jeanette program, I try to just instill, like, and teach my students that anything that you do is rhetoric. Like, rhetoric is happening, whether it's in the written word, whether it's visual, Mm -hmm. you're communicating something, you're arguing for or against something, whether you know it or not, whether it's what you're wearing, um, what you're posting online. So that's something that a lot of them, they're just like, oh, I didn't think about things like that. Many of them don't come in with, like, such a strong grounding on rhetoric. Mm -hmm. So for me to, like, kind of break it down and go past, like, it's more than just Aristotle's and Socrates. You know, it's more than just politics. It's about you communicating, making arguments for things through communication, you know, the written and visual word. My content strategy class, a little bit how we've talked about social media already, but in that class, I just try to help students think about how can you strategize for businesses and organizations and what are some of the concepts that we need to think about if we are creating a really good content strategy It's more than social media. Content strategy happens in our traditional printing out flyers. Mm. You know, that could be a part of a strategy. Sending an email and having a newsletter. Those are part of strategy. So we kind of start from the very beginning um, when we think about content strategy in that class. That's one of my favorite classes. And then in my graduate class, which I really love, Critical Conversations in Writing, Rhetoric, and Tech Com, we kind of think about the histories of where... How did this field come about? Because it's interdisciplinary. So the way I started it this semester was I just had the student think about how have we taught rhetoric and writing and technical communication, what has been said about it, but also what are the interdisciplinary ways that we can use the skill sets in health and medicine and UX and usability and education community engagement and and the different ways that you can take our degree and go and apply it to different industries. 
So you're really helping students figure out, okay, this is the pathway I want to go down. Yes, while teaching them how to be good communicators yes, yes. <laughs> and writers. Yes, oh my gosh, that's great, that's great. I took that same class and I remember thinking about, you know, what do I want to study, what do I want to research while I'm here, and coming across, you know, I just want to do an internship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With rhetoric, like you can enact it in a workplace setting yeah. you can enact it as you're writing your thesis yeah it, there's so many different avenues and there's Definitely. so many different things that you can apply it to that's why i think that wrtc really encompasses like the name encompasses exactly what yep. it's all about <laughs> what are your goals as a wrtc professor and at jmu something i didn't mention about the classes i teach i try to also infuse a cultural element mm. in everything because that is like like one of my research elements looking at how culture influences the way we communicate through our writing, through the designs that we create online, on social media, and just through our everyday interactions. So one of my goals is to have students like walk away from my classes and also the program itself with this cultural lens and awareness that rhetoric and you know my writing, it needs to shift depending on the community and audiences that I'm trying to reach. There's this prescribed way we're taught to write professionally, which is like industry standards. And I'm aware of that. And, you know, I teach students that, but I add in this element that has not been industry standard about cultural awareness mm -hmm. and cultural sensitivity and how do you now shift your message and the way you are articulating your message through the written word, visual word, audio, you know, however it is that you're communicating with your audience. What does that look like when you're reaching a global audience? What does that look like when you're talking to a community outside of your own that you're not used to? Mm -hmm. That's something that people don't just naturally think about, but I try to teach that because that's part of the work that I do as a researcher and a writer. And I would hope that students will walk away with that. And I think that would better prepare them to go out and to be a standout in the job and mm -hmm. add, add value to the job when they go and leave here. I 100% agree with you. That is something that I've been learning as I'm working through is that who's my audience and what are what am I saying? And is that going to make sense to them mm -hmm. based on their experiences? Experiences, yep. Yeah. Based off of, it's not just who they are, but it's their background, experiences, socioeconomic um, factors, yes. you know, race, sex, n nationality, identity, like all those things are things we need to think about. Yes, I completely agree with you. And I'm so glad that you're teaching that. You know, we talk about audience awareness a lot, but we talk about, oh, like, you know, college students is our audience or, mm -hmm. you know, like or prof young professionals, but not necessarily. We don't get down to the collective shared experiences of yes. a race, of yes. people of a certain gender exactly. or gender identity. It's always important to keep those people in mind in terms of how we're speaking and mm -hmm. how we're defining words and using words that are right. colloquial to some, but not like mean different meanings to other people. Because even at JMU, let's say you say, well, my audience is college students at JMU. There are so many different groups and subgroups yes. represented here. We have international students. We have students who come from, you know, a small town, like maybe like a farm town. We have students that come here from the city. Yes. So like those are things that I want students to think broadly about. It's not because 
because sometimes, like, especially my freshmen, they're like, I don't have culture. Like, what do you mean culture? I'm like, uh, you come from a city, you come from a small town. That's like a different culture right there. Let's think about it. And then once you ask those kind of questions, people realize, wow, there's lots of similarities, but there's like lots of differences. Yes, exactly. I think, and JMU is such a unique place because it's grown in its diversity so much, especially over like these past four or five years. Yeah. And it's uniquely situated in Virginia where you do have a lot of people from very rural areas. Yes. And then you have a lot of people from cities and you have people coming from all across the East Coast and some from the West Coast too. (laughs) I think JMU is so great at um, having so many people from different backgrounds and cultures together Mm -hmm. and being able to have conversations with each other and to learn from each other. Yeah. So just to switch gears a little bit, that was a great conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What was like the main focus of your studies at Michigan State? Mm -hmm. And just tell us more about your PhD experience. The program Mm -hmm. itself was rhetoric and cultures, but basically (laughs) exactly what I'm doing here. um, That was the program I was in. And my focus there, there's like a cultural rhetorics track that you can do. So I was interested in cultural rhetorics, but we also had like a, a digital rhetorics track. And that was the track that I wanted to pursue only because my master's I had focused on like technical writing. So it made sense for me in a PhD to go into the digital writing space. But my focus there, I did a lot of research over the years. I focused on small businesses, so international nonprofits and organizations. And I was thinking about content strategy. It was really interesting because at the time I didn't know this was a whole field, but I remember one of my first projects in one of my grad classes, I was wanting to do a research study on how do I design the marketing materials for like a small international nonprofit. That was something I had proposed a study to do. And then taking those same interests when it came time for me to think about my dissertation. At the time, I had started to connect with business owners and black entrepreneurs. And I was really interested in the ways that black entrepreneurs were using social media to help um, leverage their business. But because of the ways that historically black entrepreneurs have been positioned in the U.S. and some of the histories behind black entrepreneurship, I was interested in their stories Mm -hmm. and the narratives of black entrepreneurs and how they saw themselves trying to create generational wealth and also create a space for them where traditionally there has not been a space. Uh, That's the best way I can say it (laughs) because it's it's a lot deeper. But with that interest that was budding, I decided to do my dissertation research, which has leveraged itself to the research I do today on how black women entrepreneurs can use their identity and experiences to also impact their own brand strategy online. So it was a cool project that I did. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Only because I was looking at, you know, not only identity experiences, but also brand marketing and strategy online. But that project helped me to, I think, learn that what I am interested is in content strategy, um, but also it took me back into that one project I was talking about, like working with the nonprofit Mm -hmm. and how they were able to reach an audience um, because they were an international nonprofit. 
I realized that what I'm interested in is helping people recognize that their identity, their experiences matter. Mm -hmm. And I want to let them know that. And they don't have to erase that when they are creating media, when they're creating written communication for their audiences. Like, they can own that they are a black-owned business. They can own that they are, you know, a whatever the case might be that is important to them and their identity while following best practices, industry standards, and then infusing in their content strategy and in their work, which I saw all of the women I interviewed for my dissertation, they were doing that. They weren't calling it what we call it, you know, professionally, but they were already doing that because it was part of their identity. So that helped me realize people are already doing this. So why don't we continue to advocate for that? That's so aligned with what I'm seeing now Uh online, especially like there's a a business that is owned by a black woman like that is so like their identity is so interwoven with the business. Yeah. And it's like the personal branding as well. Yeah. And it really it makes the business to me stand out Mm -hmm. as well, too, because I'm like, oh, like you seem really cool. Like I want to buy from you. And what was interesting, I interviewed five women. So across the board, like all of the women were like uh, because this was also I changed some of my questions during the time because when I started my research was at the beginning of 2020 when the pandemic happened. So the research question I had proposed a year ago were centered more just like broadly on black entrepreneurship, identity, and then like content strategy, design, aesthetics as a black business owner, and then online, like how do you market yourself as a, you know, a brand? Because they're not necessarily marketing themselves as a black owned brand, Mm -hmm. but I was interested if they feel the need to do that. When 2020 hit and the pandemic hit, I was like, huh, how should I like use this moment, but also be like ethical about it Mm -hmm. and be sensitive about the moment we're in and the times we're in and the kinds of questions. So the way my questions began to evolve, this is like also important because it helped me think about ultimately, you know, brand strategy was I was like, do you feel the need to say like, I'm a black owned business and I support, you know, these organizations or I stand with this movement. I was very curious Mm -hmm. at the time if any of them felt the need that they had to like vocalize that. And what was surprising was um, most of them were like, no, because people know I'm a black-owned business. Like, they know that this is what I stand for. If anything, one of my participants who really, her, like, interview enlightened me the most, she was like, I realized that I was shying away from trying to, uh, you know, make known I was a black owned business not that like people didn't know it was that I didn't want to be like overt about it like Mm -hmm. with her messaging she was like but the moment in 2020 and beyond compelled me to actually be more intentional with branding Mm -hmm. in terms of her design and I noticed she would use she kept her brand colors but she would create like marketing materials that reflected some of the activism moments Mm -hmm. so she was one of the only participants that said I wanted to actually showcase 
showcased this more because I hadn't been showcasing it just in my everyday, you know, things talking about, oh, I cater to everyone, but I also am like a black business owner. In 2020 is when I started seeing more content online about mm-hmm. like I am a black owned business or right. people like outwardly saying that yeah. on the internet or making like their personal experiences as well, like when their culture like yeah. kind of intertwined. Because I think one of the things she had mentioned this and I agreed with her, like you first of all, like you don't want your like consumers and audience to think that like, well, I don't cater to you because like I'm mm-hmm. black owned. Because some people like get that misconstrued that if I say this, this means I only want to sell like to people who are in that demographic or whatever. But she was like, I was afraid that people would think if I was like more vocal about that, that I'm not trying to reach like all she had a skincare brand. Mm. Um, so she was like, yeah, but I'm trying to reach like men and women, you know, of all backgrounds. But she said the word I was empowered mm. to to make sure people knew. So like she's always been a black business owner and a black business. But she was like the moment empowered me to be intentional about sharing that. So I love that. And that was something that kind of wanted me to continue doing research on black entrepreneurs, but also the content strategy. That's and just thinking back to and people that like haven't like I'm thinking in terms of smaller businesses that haven't like overtly put out any position about themselves. Mm-hmm. I see it like like when I go into their shops, they'll have like stickers for like mm-hmm. certain movements and certain like things that are going on now. Right. For instance, like I see stickers about that. And I'm like, oh okay, like I see you like yeah. you're selling merch with that. And there's black design aesthetics that people sometimes intentionally or unintentionally will you know showcase that if you're aware of what those things mean you already will know mm-hmm. oh that's a black owned business or that's someone who stands uh, you know alongside black business owners or the black community um, because we have like you know different visuals and images and symbols that reflect our culture mm-hmm. so I think people are recognizing there's ways I can do it that's like just embedded in the culture that I can use in my communication or design just more of a general question like what are your experiences with technical writing in the workplace especially with like your nonprofit? like talk mm-hmm. to your nonprofit work rather talk to talk to us about that yeah so I did that work I started working for um, that organization in 2014 once I had graduated um, undergrad and it taught me so much um, it was actually very hard because I had to switch from writing academically because up until that time that's all the writing I had done in college, academic writing. I wasn't, like, writing for any business at the time. So it taught me a lot about when you are writing for the web, the kinds of copy that you need to create. I mean, it just is different. (laughs) It's very different from the written copy I'm writing. I also wrote a lot of the donor letters to people that were supporting missions and campaigns. That was the first time I was doing that. And those like donor letters and the marketing materials for the campaigns. I use a lot of rhetoric. I drew upon lots of rhetorical strategies because we had to use words and frame things to compel supporters to want to like support the mission and then to give money. (laughs) Um, That was very hard for me to do because I was like, 
I, I wasn't calling it rhetoric at the time. I don't think I was aware of the things I was doing, but it did teach me about how you can use like your words to like yeah. get people to like support uh, a cause and. I guess it taught me the most, like, there's very strategic communication and how you can leverage that. It's different from just academic, regular academic writing your essays. That's what that job taught me. And because I was learning on the job, I was the only writer. I worked with a bunch of tech guys who, like, designed the website and they needed an additional writer. So no one taught me, like, I needed to change my frame of thinking because I was writing these long, long long, lengthy things, and they were like, mm, you need to cut this a little mm. bit. Like, this is not good. It also taught me how to get some tough skin, because yes. they were they were definitely <laughs> critical, and uh, I was like, wow, I thought this was really good. Yeah. So, that professional experience, though, it really helped me, and it showed me that I wanted to learn more. So, that's what led me to go back to school, get my master's, and then my PhD. That's awesome. I'm really glad that that, that experience motivated you further yeah yeah, it definitely motivated me because I knew I was interested in writing that professional kind of writing was just something new Mm -hmm. but I was like a challenge so I was like what am I I kept asking myself like what am I doing here like what is this like copywriting and copy editing no one had taught me those things so I was like I already am a good writer but this is a new skill set so I think I need to like go back to like school and maybe hone in on these skill sets Mm -hmm. so then I could possibly get another job and be better at it that's that's awesome that I was the same way in undergrad like I never knew like copy editing Mm -hmm. so I when I shifted gears it was also very challenging for me and I'm glad that it motivated you to go back and really hone in on those things and I think that's really important like if if you're learning something new and you want to continue learning, like mm-hmm. school is great for yes. that. I think, I think academic writing, you know, it, it's really helpful, but there's so many different avenues in writing that you can take. Exactly. One of my last questions, last two questions. <laughs> um, so just describe the significance of the diversity cohort hire mm-hmm. at JMU. It happened about a year ago, right? You've been here about for about a year. Yeah. So how did you hear about that? And how, why does that mean so much to JMU and to you personally? So, the cohort hire um, that happens what August of 2021 was JAMU's first cohort hire and um, what was unique about it you know once I learned more about what they were doing was they were looking for scholars and looking for um, you know researchers who our research was grounded and you know social justice ideas things of you know um, critical race theory um, based Basically, all of our work across the disciplines of everyone that was hired in my cohort, we were looking at ways that we can be more inclusive and culturally diverse in our work. So my work and my background definitely has a social justice focus. I know some of my colleagues that were hired, they might use like a black feminist or feminist lens, decolonial lens. Mm -hmm. So all of the work had some kind of social justice feel to it Mm -hmm. and 
in their like pedagogy of what informs the research that they do. So when I was sent that job ad from one of my colleagues, I was very much interested. I didn't know where JMU was or Harrisonburg. <laughs> now, I've lived in Virginia before because um, my dad is a retired Navy and my parents mm. currently live in the DMV. So I wasn't like unfamiliar with this region. It was just I hadn't heard of Harrisonburg. Mm. Um, and when I looked it up, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Yeah. Like place in the middle of nowhere. kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what attracted me to JMU and the school was that JMU was being intentional about wanting to bring in scholars and wanting to bring in researchers. Our work has been doing this. Like, it has been thinking about race issues. Our work has been thinking about inclusivity and diversity. It's not anything new. So I was very happy that JMU recognized that that is important to make sure that at the university level, you have professors that not only look like what they teach, but they are teaching that and have been doing that for years. We mm-hmm. didn't just, you know, change our research to fit this moment. No, this is the thing that have, we've been passionate about, all of us, for years. So um, that is what drew me in. And once I learned more about this cohort hire, that it was the inaugural one, I was like, this would be a great opportunity for me as a junior scholar to come in to share my expertise at a school that is clearly wanting to, you know, change the culture of, uh, continue changing the culture of the campus. Mm. And um, I wanted to be a part of that historic change. So that's what drew me here. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, uh, last question. What is your favorite part about JMU so mm. far? It's so interesting because I come from, like, the city area, but mm-hmm. I would say my favorite part is just how friendly everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I lived in Michigan for about 10 years when I was, like, doing my school, and my family were originally from Detroit. But I would say, you know, it's a different culture in the Midwest. It's a different yeah. culture, like, in Detroit area. It's even a different culture in the DMV, where my parents and family live now. But I just love, although it's a small town, and you might be like, oh, here's some breaks in the middle nowhere like JMU and Harrisonburg everyone is very friendly and I just love that my colleagues the department it's like a family here mm-hmm. so that's what I love most oh well, that's uh, awesome right. <laughs> well we love that you're here um, we love that you're at JMU and you're in WRTC yes. thank you so much for joining me on the podcast thanks today, for Dr. having Warren. me yeah this was so much fun yeah oh my gosh so great talking to you, you as well Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. Make sure to follow us at Instagram and Twitter at JMU Cohen Center. And be on the lookout for more conversations at the Cohen Center.